Uh, if you are visiting our church this morning, we're so glad that you're here today. Uh, because we begin a new series that we title uh, Tales, Jonah, Tales from the Deep. And, uh, well, you saw the story, the kid's story. That was awesome. Uh, that gave me an idea. Maybe next time I'm not here, I just show you the message. Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Just kidding. Um, I remember when I was a kid, the phone company came to our house and installed our, our phone. Do you remember that? We don't have a line line anymore at home, but, and a lot of people don't, do it, don't, do, don't have a line line anymore. But I remember when they installed a line line in our house, I was waiting for the phone to ring. I was waiting for somebody to call us. The thing is that when they installed the phone in our house, they gave us a number, but nobody else had it but us. And, and the thing about phone calls is that phone calls used to be kind of special. They're not that special anymore. In fact, nowadays people don't use their phone to make calls. We text. We take pictures. We surf the web. We check on Facebook, but we don't call anymore. But back in the day when phone calls were special, the, we reacted in different ways when the phone rang. One of those ways, we're still reacting that way today. And that is when the phone rings unwantedly. You know that moment when you're having dinner and your phone rings? You look at your phone and you're like, I don't know that number. Or now there's some phones that say, possible telemarketing. See, we don't like those calls. We, we don't. But then there's a different kind of calls. And the phone calls, that, that, that those phone calls are the ones that are expected. Maybe it's news from a job or from a loved one. Maybe it's someone that we've been waiting to talk to. And when the phone rings and, and we look at the caller ID, we see the number and we see the name. The place that the phone is calling from. We pick it up. Hello. Hello. But there's also those missed calls. You have some of those in your phone? The phone rang. We didn't hear it. Or they left a message. Are you one of those people that have a ton of messages that your box is full and nobody can leave messages anymore? See, God calls us all the time. And we react in one of those three ways. Either we're full of messages because we heard his voice so many times, so many times, and uh, we just don't pay attention anymore. Or maybe we hear his message and we go, oh, again. But there's some of us who, when we hear his voice, we react quickly. The book of Jonah, it's a call from God to each one of us. Because all of us, at some level, are a lot like Jonah. So let's go to it. If you open your notes, uh, they're in the bulletin. Or if you'd like to open your Bible, you know, uh, let me help you. Because the book of Jonah is in that section of the Bible that is kind of difficult to find the books. Let me help you a little bit. It's right between Obadiah and Micah. 
If you're watching online, uh, you can go to our website and uh, get the notes from the website there, right there in the bulletin for today. And uh, let's go to chapter 1 of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. Verse 3, but Jonah rose to, the, to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. If the book of Jonah were to end right there, we, it'll be the saddest book in the Bible. Because it, it would end saying, and Jonah went away from the Lord. So family, I, I want to suggest to you this morning that when God calls, what matters is how we respond to the call. See, Jonah is a very interesting book for many reasons. But, but one of them is because Jonah is known as the persistent prophet. What's amazing is that in the book of Jonah, there's only one sermon of his recorded. And it is recorded that Jonah left away from God. He didn't want to obey to the call. Yet, Jonah is known as a persistent prophet. Now, his name, Jonah, in Hebrew means dove. Like the bird, dove. But one of the interesting things about it is that the Bible says that is, it, he was the son of Amittai. And Amittai is taken from the Hebrew word for truth. So if you're a prophet, you are the son of truth. I think that's pretty neat. And Jonah, if we pay, if we pay attention to the story, Jonah is actually always telling the truth. So it's a pretty neat story about that. But, but let's go to the, to the meaning of the text. Let's go to verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. It is amazing when we read the text that this, the word of the Lord came to Jonah appears seven times in the book. And if there's anyone who's persistent in the story of Jonah, it's God. Because, see, God is always trying to speak to us. And, and it is amazing when we pay attention to the times when God has spoke and something happened. Because when we read the story of creation, we read several times, actually seven times, that God spoke and things happened. Amazing things happened. The Bible, it, it, it's a book when it, that it says and narrates and describes the times and what happens when God speaks. In fact, when we go to the New Testament, it says in John verse 1 that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God. And the Word became God and dwelt among us. So, so it, it is interesting, family, when we, when we pay attention to this Words, because when God speaks, we know that something amazing is about to happen. And see, when God speaks to us, it's in the same manner. When he speaks to us, it's because he has something special for each one of us. 
In fact, in, in, in the epistle of Hebrews, it says that God has spoken in many ways and in many times to his people through the prophets. But today, he speaks to us, to Christ. So if there's something that we need to pay attention, it's when God speaks to us. Because he's always been trying to communicate with us, to give us a message, to give us guidance, to give us hope, to give us comfort, to give us answers, to give us peace, to give us love. Because that is what God does. He's always trying to communicate with the ones he loved. So, if there's something we need to learn today, is that God will often speak to you. But what he'll say might be things that you don't want to do. And there's a reason for that. And that is because at times, we think that we know better. We think that we know better. And, and see, let me, let, me, let me put it to you like this. Has anybody with more experience ever given you advice? Solicited and unsolicited? Have you ever received advice? Now, the question is, what have you done with that advice? You know, it's amazing uh, when we as parents talk to our children and you get that stare. You know what I'm talking about? Kids, you know what I'm talking about? It's amazing when we talk to our children, the first word we get from them is, I know. I know. And as parents... We ask another question. When, if you know, how come you're not doing it? And we get this there. I know. I know. So see, part of that is, is that as adults, we do exactly the same thing. People give us advice. People give us advice. And we think, I know. I know. God gives us advice. God has told us what we should do, what to do with our lives, how to live, how to eat, how to be happy. And we say, I know. I know. Because we think that we know better. And that is why when God speaks to us, he will often ask us to do things that we don't want to do. Verse 2. So God comes to Jonah and tells him, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. Now, in the time of David, the Philistines were the enemies of Israel. But in the time of the prophets... The Assyrians were the greatest enemy of Israel. We hear that the Babylonians conquered, but they were far away. The Assyrians were right there. The border with Israel was shared with, Assyrian, with, 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 with the Assyrian nation. So the Assyrians were constantly attacking 
bothering, harassing the people of Israel. If you were a, an Israelite and you heard the, the, the name Assyrian, two things would happen. You would hate to hear it and you would fear to hear it. It's named here the great city because of its size. It was 480 miles of circumference. And the, for the time, this is a huge city. Huge city. And they were brutal and ruthless people. In fact, it is said that when a town would get rumors that the Assyrians were coming to conquer, the people of the town, and this is in the history books, the people of the town that they were about to be conquered, they would prefer to commit mass suicide than to be in the hands of the Assyrians. It is recorded that the Assyrians would come to a town and abuse all the women, take all the children as slaves, and they would take the men outside of the town, outside of the city, into the desert. They will skin them alive. They would make ditches and they would bury them. All the way here, imagine the pain of that. With only their faces showing outside of the sand. And then all night they would play Justin Bieber music as punishment. No. Now, that, that was not true, but the other thing is. And, and then what would happen, what would happen was that once they would die, they would take their heads off and they would make pyramids with their skulls to let people know that Assyrians had been there. That's how ruthless, that's how evil, that's how depraved the Assyrians were. So when God speaks to Jonah and tells him, Jonah, I want you to go and preach to the Assyrians, Jonah goes, no. Thanks, but no thanks. And you see, it's kind of justified because perhaps, perhaps Jonah had somebody who had gone through that. Somebody who had experienced suffering because of the Assyrians. But at times, we have been like that. God has told us something that we didn't want to do. Maybe the word of the Lord came and told you, forgive somebody. I don't want to do that. I know, but I don't want to do it. Maybe the word of the Lord told you something simple, like return the tithe. And you said, I, I, I know, but I don't agree with it. Maybe the word of the Lord came to you and told you it's time to start living a married life when you're not married. God will often ask us things that we don't want to do. But I think that delayed obedience is disobedience. And I might have told you this before. 
one of the problems that we have as parents, and see, now that I've been a parent for almost 20 years, I, I've, I've learned a couple of things. And one of them is that I don't know anything. <laughs> and the second is that I'm discovering all the mistakes that I made over 20 years. And one of those mistakes that, that we make as parents is that we teach our children not to obey. Okay, let me explain that to you. Come. Come. I'm telling you to come. One. Two. You better be here. Let me tell you what the problem is. Delayed obedience is disobedience. I read once that maturity, the factor that describes maturity in Christians is the lag time. It's the time between the Word of God and our obedience. So the longer we take to obey the Word of God, the less mature we are. The faster we obey, you get it? So delayed obedience is disobedience. So when the word of God comes to us, we have a choice to make. Because when we say, hold on, that's delayed obedience. When we say, let me wait for this game to end, that's delayed obedience. When we say, I'll be there in a minute, that's delayed obedience. So our choice when the word of God comes is just very simple. Obedience or disobedience? Because obedience is immediate. Now, children all over the church are going to hate me now. Now, the second thing that I learned from this text is that, is that, is that you can always find a boat that is going in the wrong direction. You can always find a boat that is going in the opposite direction. Verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So from where Jonah was... Nineveh was east. Tarshish was going west. And you could say, well, that's opposite directions. But it's more than that. Because Nineveh, from when Jonah was, was only 25 miles away. How many miles? 25. Tarshish and the boat that he took would take him a year to navigate to get there. So I don't know if you see it, but it was not only that he went in the wrong direction. He went super, super, super far away from what he was supposed to be. And there's a simple reason. He found a boat that was going in the wrong direction. God said, go east. He said, I'll go west. And, and the, the thing, family, is that oftentimes it takes us 
a long time to get away from God. You see, have you ever been to the beach and, and, and you're floating on one of those donuts? So you go to the beach and you're on the water, you know, you're floating and you see where your stuff is. You see your umbrella, you know, with Nemo on it. And, uh, and, and you're floating there, you know, and you're having fun. You know, you're even going, na-na, 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 you know. And, and, and you're there, you know. But a few minutes later, your umbrella is no longer there. Because now you have drifted. But you still see it, you know. And you keep doing your thing, you know, you're swimming, you're swimming, you're swimming, just keep swimming. And then you look and Nemo is no longer there. And now you have to go find Nemo. That's what having children do to you. And uh, so, so, so now you have been drifting so far away from your stuff. It was slowly, you didn't mean to, but slowly you've been drifting away. So one day, you say, well, I'm kind of in a hurry. I'm not going to read my Bible today. Another day you say, well, I work so late today. I'm not going to pray. I'm just going to straight to bed. And then another day you say, well, it's been a hard week. I'm so tired. I'm not going to church. And then another time. And another time. And then you scratch your head and, and, and you say, well, I used to go to church. I used to read my Bible. I used to pray. But see, you didn't choose one day, okay, today, from now on, I'm not going to do this anymore. No. It happened. Slowly, you begin to drift. But every moment was taking you farther and farther and farther away from God. Because there is always going to be something that is going to take you in the wrong direction. When you let it. But the beautiful thing is that God always sends something. God always. God always. Sends something to call of attention. In the case of Jonah, he sent a storm. He sent a storm to grab his attention. Verse, verse, uh, verse 4. But the Lord hurtled a great wind upon the sea and threw I'm sorry. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the sh ship threatened to break up. Now, let me remind you that this is a cargo ship. This is not a, a little tiny boat like the disciples' fishing boat that were in the Sea of Galilee. Now, he's in the Mediterranean Sea and he is on a cargo, on a big boat. And just like today, cargo ships are the largest of them all. When the storm hits, and when I was reading the passage, it reminded me of a story that my grandmother, my mom's mom, used to tell me. When, when 
they were younger, her and my grandpa went on a boat to somewhere in the south of Mexico, in, in the Gulf of Mexico. And there, they were met by a tropical storm that later became a hurricane. My grandma used to tell me that they, when they were in that boat, the boat moved so harshly, that boat shook so bad, that when they looked out of the window, the water was going sideways, not even up and down. And all they could see was the waves and the boat almost looking like it was a straight up. And my, my grandma told me that from that day, she would never want it to go on any kind of floating vessel ever. Now, that's never happened to me. But, and for most of us probably hasn't either. But the closest thing to, for me to understand it, the impact that was having, this, that this storm was having on the boat, is what happened to us when we fly. Some of us love to fly. You like to fly? Okay, some of you right away said, no. Because there's others who just don't like to fly. In fact, some of you take a pill before you go on a plane. Because you just want to get there. See, I'm the kind that I look, I observe, I enjoy. I actually follow the directions and the little thing. I love to fly and experience. And you see, uh, uh, there's somebody in my family who doesn't like to fly. In fact, I'm married to her. For 22 years today, uh, I just wanted to plug that in. I just wanted to plug that in. Uh, so for 20 years, I've been enduring flying with her. And, and what, happens, what, what happens is that the idea of flying is just not a good thing. My hand has changed shapes in many times. But this is my thing. This is my thing. We are, we, we are on the air, and there's wind. In fact, we have a technical term for that, for winds that make the, the, the airplanes move. Turbulence. But you realize something if you've flown a few times, that even through turbulences, they serve drinks. Or they give you your food. So that tells us something. If the plane moves, it's okay. It's okay. It's not time to worry when the, when the plane moves. Now, it's a little bit of concern when the plane moves and you see the plane crew sitting on their seats. You might, huh, this is interesting. I want my drink, but they're not ready to serve me. But if the crew people are panicking, it's time for you to panic. This boat where Jonah is going is moving and it's moving so badly that the sailors are panicking. Are you with me? So you know that if the sailors are panicking, it's a bad thing. They were afraid that the boat was going to break. So people pray. The Bible tells us that these sailors were People that, tr that believed on God. They're praying. And the captain did his duty. 
and went to look for everyone on the ship that was on the manifesto. And everybody was praying on deck except one, Jonah. Jonah is down in the bow, sleeping. You could say, hey, Jesus was sleeping through a storm. He had a great faith. Right? But no. Verse, verse uh, 8. Then they find him and they ask him a question. Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? So they ask him, Jonah, what do you do for a living? What are your credentials? So Jonah sticks his hand into his jacket and he takes his prophet card out. I'm a prophet. Where do you come from? And what is your country? And what people are you from? And then he said, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Wait, what? Yeah, uh, I'm a prophet. Why aren't you leading the prayer meeting upstairs? Why are you here? So they realized that he was sleeping, not because he was trusting. He was sleeping because he was hiding from God. And in his bright mind, if I go in the bottom of the sheep, God will not see me. Wait, don't laugh. We do the same thing. In fact, Adam did the same thing after his sin. He went and hide. Because that's what we do. When we don't want to follow the word of the Lord, we go and hide. We hide behind justifications. We hide behind rationalizations. We hide behind, oh, but that's who I am. We hide behind, I mean, we hide behind culture and traditions and events and busyness. We hide behind anything that we can find. Because that's what we do as people. Verse 10. Then the men were exceedingly afraid because, oh my goodness, this is happening because of you. Now God is going to kill you and he's going to kill us on the way because we're on the boat with you. What is it that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So at least we know one thing, that Jonah wouldn't tell a lie. He was still the son of truth. But that led me to think of another situation. If you were to ask me today, what is the biggest problem in American church today? I think that the greatest problem and the greatest enemy is nominal Christianity. People who call themselves Christians, but you could not tell that they were Christians if you put them next to somebody who is not. 
that we have become so adept to the world that we blend in so well. I'm not saying that we should be away from the world. God sent us to this place to be a light in the community, not to hide from the community. But we have become so accustomed to the world that we could be undercover agents without a problem. Jonah didn't look like a prophet at that moment. Wasn't acting like, a, like somebody who was faithful and worshipped, as he said, the God of heaven. So the sailors realized that they, was, they were the ones doing true worship, while the one that was supposed to lead the worship was hiding. Verse 12. Then he said to them, this is Jonah speaking to the sailors, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. At least Jonah had a sense of responsibility. Because see, family, the first step that we need to take for God to begin to change in us is to own up to our mistakes. We are in a culture that has taught us to blame others for our mistakes. I, I, I'm subscribed to psychology, uh, American Psychological Journal. I get it every month. I like psychology. And you might have picked that up. I like it. But every so often, I get emails from articles that say that part of our problems is because of experiences from the past, which is true. Which is true. We are the reflection of our experience. Good or bad, we are the reflection of our experience. However, that is not the problem. The problem is what to do with, with our mistakes. Because there's some people out there in pop psychology that say that because of the bad things that you do, you should not feel bad because they were caused by someone else who made you do that in a past experience. And that's where the problem lies. Because in reality, it is a lie. That is exactly what the devil likes us to think. That is not our fault. That is God's fault. But our choices are only ours. Our decisions are only our decisions. And we are responsible for every decision, every choice that we make. Because the moment that we don't accept our past mistakes, it's very simple. We cannot be forgiven. See, in heaven, there's not going to be perfect people. Yeah, there's not going to be perfect people. So don't try to be perfect. The only people that is going to be in heaven is forgiven people. So if you want to be in heaven, if you want to be forgiven, the first step is to own up to your bad choices. Is to own up to your mistakes. Because that is the only way that we can do this. So Jonah says, you know what, what guys? It's my fault. Throw him in the water and then God will stop. But see, Jonah's, Jonah's worst nightmare. Jonah's worst nightmare was exactly 
what he needed. Verse 15. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from his raging. Then the men fear the Lord exceedingly, and they offer a sacrifice to the Lord and make vows. Now this is very interesting, because at first, these sailors are fearing God. They're praying because there's a storm. Now that the storm ceases, they're afraid, they're praying to God, and they offer sacrifice. Which is interesting. Because when we understand that God allows bad things to happen to us, and we continue to trust in Him, it shows our maturity. You see, let me explain this to you. There's a wrong way to preach the gospel. And the wrong way is that if you trust in God, if you're faithful to God, nothing bad will happen to you. That's a lie. That's a lie. In fact, the Bible is full of texts that say that even when you walk through the valley of death, God is going to be with you. So God has never promised that he'll remove bad situations, problems from your life. What he's promised is that he's going to be with you every step of the way. So when it's good and when it's bad, let's trust God. That's what the sailors were doing. Now, verse 17, this is where it gets interesting. And the Lord appointed, and according to your Bible version, might say provided, a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Now, according to, well, let, let me disprove popular belief that it was a whale. It was not a whale. Now, let me get theological with you for a second. Did God make fish? Does God have a limit of the size of the fish that he can make? You see where I'm going? It could have been a guppy or a goldfish that God made huge for Jonah. And if you don't believe me, watch VeggieTales. <laughs> and Jonah, and Jonah says, was in the belly of the fish for three days. Nights. This is the thing. Jonah didn't know what we know today. Jonah didn't know what was going to happen after he entered the belly of the fish. Jonah didn't know time, result, direction, or purpose. Jonah felt at that particular moment that he was guilty of not obeying God. And Jonah knew that where he was, as bad as it was, was what he needed to change his direction. And you see, what God, what he'll do with us is that oftentimes he allows us to go through situations that are nightmares. Nightmares. And that is because there is something that perhaps at that time, we don't know what it is, but God knows that we need to change. That there's a situation, a thought, an activity, a habit, a custom that needs to change. And God would allow our worst nightmare to happen just so that we can change. And that is because God has this reckless love for us.
Because God is willing to do anything that needs to happen to us so that we can change. Even in the belly of a fish. Jonah was a prophet that never told a lie but often went the wrong direction. Today we are people who perhaps we are not bad people but we need to change a direction in our lives. Let's never forget that even in the middle of that change, God's love still reaches us. Even in the belly of a well. Even in our darkest nightmares.